What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back the NASCAR DFS podcast. I'm Dan Malin. I'm joined by Matt Sells. We are rolling into Darlington this week. It's going to be awesome. We have all three series, the, the Camping World Truck Series, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, the NASCAR Cup Series. We're getting throwback paint schemes. It's going to be awesome. This is this is a track that should work really well for this car. And we have a huge F1 race that is unfortunately at the exact same time as the Cup race. Matt, how do we approach this weekend? Do we need to purchase an extra TV to watch both races? You may just have to. I mean, if your budget allows, right? Don't. And by the way, if your wife gets pissed, I guess you can blame me. I, I don't know. I've got a couple of monitors. I'm going to be watching them from the computer, streaming one on, you know, each one. Um, either that or the other solution is, we root for rain in Darlington just to push it back a couple hours, not to rain it out, right? Push it back a couple hours, watch the F1 race in Miami, and then get the, uh, you know, throwback paint scheme goodness at Darlington. Plus, there should be phenomenal racing at Darlington, right? Like, auto club. Oh, this car, this car worked wonders at high t- – it's it looked great on high tire wear tracks. It's provided yeah. great racing. It was also great at Vegas, which isn't even a high tire wear track. It's just an intermediate. Like this, this car looks phenomenal at intermediates. Um, so this should be spectacular. Darlington is always very good, and uh, now we get a great car for this track. So there's a lot going on this weekend. We got four races in what three days, basically. Um, so that's going to be a whole lot of content coming your way, a whole lot of DFS opportunities. DraftKings changed the pricing for F1, so hopefully that should spread the field out a little bit, give you a little bit more choices in how you're going to play things, make things a little less chalk, hopefully. Um, and there's just some fantastic strategies we can use this week. So we are very excited if you can't tell dover was kind of like the the cleanser between talladega and darlington and now we get darlington and then we get kansas which should also be fantastic so two back-to-back excellent race weekends here um all right do we want to talk dover at all do we need to chase Elliott gets his first win on a well let me me start out by saying a fox sucks can we please get rid of them midseason? They're terrible. I'm sorry. I like Mike Joy. I like Clint Boyer. But their camera work is terrible. I've never produced a TV show uh, or a movie. I've never worked in that industry, unlike Dan, who helps put things on the big screen there. Um, but I'm pretty sure I could produce a better race from, from camera angle perspective than Fox does. The fact that two dudes spun out at the beginning of the race and we didn't see any of it how do you miss it it's a one mile racetrack with 47 cameras not including the ones that are on every single car so i'm sorry but fox sucks they kept you know they would shout out oh turning car spinning in turn three and then you never see it on the tv not once and then the guys in first and second had like a six second lead over others partway through the race instead of showing the racing that was actually happening in the back of the field you know what they did they kept it close on ross chastain running the hell away from people 
So there's that. Then NASCAR suspends the wrong guy on Denny's pit crew. I know the tire came off. It's an automatic four-race suspension for his crew chief, I think the jack man, and the tire changer that's responsible for the wheel coming off. Here's the problem. The guy they suspended was not responsible for the wheel coming off because in the new choreography, the guy that changes the right rear also changes the front left. The guy that changes the front right changes the right or the left rear. It was the front left that came off. So the guy that changed the right rear should have been suspended, not the dude that did everything right. So I don't know why they made that decision, but they did. Um, and then, yeah, it was kind of a kind of an interesting race. I had guys kind of spinning out on their own for a little bit. I know you got hammered by by Denny and uh, a couple other folks, which is unfortunate. Because you were sitting pretty with a shot to win the uh, win a spot in the Fantasy Racing World Championship. So after, <clears throat> so at the postponement on Sunday, I really tried not to post anything in the NASCAR Discord because one, it was very early in the race. But I was I had a I was winning the twenty seven dollar ticket to the FRWC. At the end of stage one, I was still winning that ticket, and I was in first in the $24 single entry contest, the Rainbow Warrior. Overall, between like winning the value of the ticket and that contest, I was up like eight grand. And <clears throat> I was trying to keep my expectations in check. I was basically telling myself, it's like, hey, don't get too excited. Like, it's it's cool right now. It probably doesn't hold, but it still feels like it's gonna be a good day. I loved my exposures. I was overweight on Denny Hamlin. I was overweight on Christopher Bell. Like I loved how my exposures from how the race was running on Sunday. I like how they translated and and where I was sitting. The wheels literally came off during stage break when everyone was making their pits. Denny Hamlin lost a wheel that almost beat him off pit road. I then had Kyle Larson that somehow wrecked twice. Christopher Bell, I think had a penalty that I had to force him to the back of the field. Day ruined before stage two even really started when it started with the Hamlin losing the wheel. And, you know, that that is the crappy part of NASCAR DFS. And I, I wasn't trying to get too excited because it was just stage one. I knew plenty of things could, could unfold, and sure enough, they did. They just didn't work out in my favor. Um, if I had to go back and do it all over again, I think I would still commit to the same exposures. Um, you know, I did uh, – an additional podcast last week with with a good friend of ours, Ryan Larkin. You know, it was it was it was kind of helpful. I think, you know, we we always talk about getting different perspectives and you know, talking with him Saturday night kind of helped me a little bit. But, you know, overall I relied on the playbook that that you put out and and you know, I loved the reads. Uh it was by far the the most confident that I have felt at a Dover race. I always feel like these these short-ish tracks where you know, trying to account for, you know, dominators and guys falling off the lead lap, thus capping their PD. I always think that's a really tough combination to uh, account for in DFS. And and I felt really good last week. Ultimately, the results weren't there for me. Um, and so I'm eating a loss, but I still feel really good about Darlington. This is lining up to be a great week of racing. It's a, it's an oddly shaped track. It's an egg shaped track, but it's it's going to be. We have all three series. We have the F1 running in Miami, so I'm not going to dwell on what happened on Monday, even though it should have happened on Sunday. 
Uh, but I'm ready to to uh, to attack this week pretty hard. Yeah. Um, you know, and one last thing. Where the hell did Ricky Stenhouse come from? No idea. Like, like where was where did that come from? I mean, I know not really anybody played even him. his pre-race like speech or whatever or his, his own comments before the race. He's like he he even said like I'm just hoping to have a good run. Yeah, he wasn't, pre- he wasn't predicting to up second. And it wasn't even strategy, though, because, like, sure, the pit strategy got him up a little bit. But, like, the pit strategy only got him to, like, top 15. And then he moved up and was picking people off. Um, and, by the way, good job, Kyle Bush, not uh, finishing outside the top 20 there at Dover. Congrats. Um, but, yeah, so let's move on to Darlington. You mentioned it. It's an egg-shaped track. Um, it's which basically means the two ends of the track are two different radiuses, right? So turns one and two are wider than turns three and four, which means it's very tricky to set up to balance for the car the right way. Um, and because we get practice now, practice is going to be important on Saturday to see who's got the balance set up the right way and um, who – you know, who doesn't? It is a tire wear track. It's reasonably comparable to uh, Auto Club. Um, and the best part is that the package on the car this year is very similar to the package that they've been running on the car for the last three years at Darlington. So we can use all of those results, and they should translate reasonably well. Now, there should be more passing this year than there previously has been because there's a little less downforce. Um but generally speaking, it's a multi-groove track. Guys should be able to move up and down um, all over the place. You will see guys running very high along the wall. You're going to see what's called the Darlington Stripe, which is when they rub the right side of their car off because they've hit the wall a couple of times, um, which is a shame because we've got a bunch of classic paint schemes on the cars this week. But, yeah, it should be a very fun track. Um, Dominator points will matter this week. Um, I think there's about, what, 300 laps in this race, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yeah. It's like 312 or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a 1.33-mile track, basically, um, and there's 400 miles in the race. So should be some decent Dominator points to be gotten. PD will be a thing here. So kind of treating it like your standard intermediate track. It's just a tougher intermediate track to drive. And then for those <clears> of you who... Uh, looking at F1 in Miami, it is the inaugural race. This is a purpose-built road, like temporary road circuit. Okay, so in terms of similar tracks, I don't know how many similar tracks there are. I guess we could count um, Abu Dhabi as one. Um, and we could count, I guess, Mel- um, Melbourne as another because there's some pretty good long straights here. High-speed corners, there's a couple of low-speed corners. But in general, the track looks spectacular. Um, yes, they put a fake marina in the track. <laughs> but um, but <clears throat> in general, the track looks fantastic. I will have a video of a simulated hot lap um, in some content later this week. And it should be – now, they get three practices this week. For F1 because it's a brand new track, so everybody got to go figure out that. So they'll have three practices and then qualifying. And because it's in Miami, we don't have to stay up till like super goofy hours to see practice and qualifying. 
So that's that's pretty nice. I do um, love a good F1 race at like 9.30 in the morning. It's a good way to enjoy my breakfast. Yeah, which we'll get a few weeks when it's Monaco because that'll be at 9.30 in the morning to start off triple header yeah. uh, race weekend there with Monaco and then Indy 500 and then the Coke 600. Um, so, yeah, we'll have the playbook out you know, some point Saturday, probably after qualifying. Standard betting piece will be out. Well, why don't we at least talk about the pricing real quick? Because before the podcast, you said that DraftKings fixed their pricing. And the first thing that I noticed is that their dumpster diving takes a whole on a whole new term now. Because, you know, Nicholas Latifi no longer priced at like 2 3 k He is the minimum price driver. He is 4500 Lance Stroll is 4800 So we're not going to get these like obvious like value punts anymore. You have to spend and build your lineup a little more wisely. And it seems like... Yeah, scratch that. They are not adjusting their pricing for constructors one bit. Bread Bull and Ferrari are still the most priced or the most expensive, rather. But let's talk about the pricing a little bit because you actually seem to like what the changes that DraftKings made. Yeah. So, you know, the bottom barrel guys, I have mentioned, you know, Alexander Albon and Stroll. And I'm not sure I put Latifi in a playbook yet, but like. He's previously been down in like the 2000 range and now he's 3000 this week. Um, and so you, you kind of, there's, there seems to be more guys in the upper range than there typically is. Um, and so it's, it shouldn't be quite as chalky to go find like, Oh, I could just deal with this guy in the mid tier. It doesn't seem to be quite um, as easy as that's been in the past few weeks. So that's good to see. Uh, you know, yeah, figure with a new sport, it would take them a few weeks um, to kind of adjust to some stuff. So it's it's nice to see it happening, um, you know, this week and not having to wait for another three or four races for it. But yeah, the constructors, I mean, we can't really be upset about Ferrari and Red Bull being the two highest priced Um teams right like ferrari by the way is the same price as they were at emola at 11.6 um but with changing the the drivers it also means that you've got to be more careful with the constructors because even if you say okay ferrari is the same price well if the drivers have gone you know if they've widened the spread of salaries for the drivers it makes it trickier to build your lineup in general even if the constructors stayed the same price so um, you know, same strategy. They haven't changed the points at all. They may do that next year, I would suspect, because it's producing a lot of um, ties right now with the strat with the way the uh, scoring works. Don't know how they would change that necessarily, but what what overall should be the approach with constructors? Now, I understand, like you know, a lot of my builds early on through the first three four races, it's been whoever I'm putting in the captain. I'm trying to put them in constructor as well. And that is the general consensus. Like that's the best way to maximize points, but that does cuff you salary wise. So if I was to just take, uh, I'm trying to think of what the cheapest option might be. All right. So let's just say I play Ferrari at the constructor constructor. And then I play Charles Leclerc in my captain. I am left with $21,300 left for the remaining four drivers. And given the pricing adjustment that DraftKings has made, I may have some difficulty uh, trying to round this lineup out. And I'm probably gonna land on a chalk lineup. 
So with this new pricing, should we try to find ways to be different going forward and maybe not just lock in or and pair the, you know, Leclerc with Ferrari or Verstappen with Red Bull? And should we try to avoid that for GPPs? So, you know, early on, I think the consensus was that you had to correlate your captain and your constructor together to maximize the points. Because a lot of your points are going to come from your constructor, especially if they have bonuses, right? And then if your captain goes off, then you're getting one and a half times the points they normally would. Comes at a cost, obviously, because he's one and a half times his normal salary. But I don't think that that's necessarily needed. I think if you read the race the right way, you can find constructors that are in the mid-tier for constructor pricing um, that can get you bonus points that you don't necessarily have to to stick the captain with them. Um, like last week, for example, or not last week, but last race, Imola, which was two weeks ago. Um, sure, I did Leclerc and Ferrari in one lineup. Putting Verstappen and Red Bull together was impossible to build with. Just impossible. Um, so I did Verstappen as a captain in one and Mercedes as the constructor because they were like $3,500 less and I thought they had a reasonable shot um, at putting up some decent points. Now, Lewis Hamilton didn't exactly have the best race, um, which was disappointing because if he had, we would have gotten some bonus points. But I think you can get creative and I don't think you have to tie the <clears throat> constructor and the captain together. Uh, I've been tying constructor and one driver together, not necessarily in the captain spot. In case they podium? Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind is if you feel real good about both drivers from a constructor, don't play the constructor, just play the drivers. Because if you play the constructor, or you play the constructor and none of the drivers. Because once you play a constructor, you can only play one of the drivers from that right. team, right? You can't, you can either play two, like both Ferrari drivers, like Leclerc and Sainz, or you can pick one of those and play Ferrari as a constructor, but you can't do all three, which makes sense. It would also be prohibitive salary-wise, but. The issue I find when I'm playing, you know, two drivers and thus eliminating their constructor is that I have a, dif a difficult time, you know, playing the two Red Bull guys or the two Ferrari guys. Because then it's like, if I'm looking at constructors, then I almost have to like go down to like Mercedes, McLaren. And if I'm playing one of those constructors, and it's not like they're dirt cheap constructors either. You know, right. I'm just hoping like one of their drivers at least hits the podium so I can get a little bit of a bonus. But outside of that, I don't have a ton of confidence in ever playing Haas as a constructor, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tori, Ashton Martin, meh, maybe. Definitely not playing Williams as a constructor. So it's like, no. if I'm not playing Red Bull or Ferrari, my other two options are basically Mercedes and McLaren, who are significantly cheaper than the top two teams. But I guess my issue is like really just trying to find like the right value plays, and with DK's new scoring, that could make it a little bit difficult. Yeah, I mean, I have dipped below you know, the top four in constructors previously. It just depends on the week and what we've seen from them. Like, I played some Haas in Bahrain because their cars looked super quick, um, and it paid off. They did 
they have, I mean, it's 12 points, but that's the best one they've had. But I also only had to pay $3,600 for that. So that allowed me to stock up. I think I had a lineup with both Verstappen and Leclerc in it along with Haas. Now, it was awesome until like two laps to go when the Red Bulls blew up. Um, but, you know, you kind of got to read the room. So my thought process on constructors is Red Bull and Ferrari are going to be chalked the rest of the way. Mm-hmm just going to happen they've been the two most dominant teams everybody expects them to continue mercedes you can pick and choose your spots because george russell right now is second in the championship point simply because he's finished no worse than fifth in any race he hasn't won any but he's finished between like third and fifth in every race and nobody else can say that except for leclerc um so you know, if, if Lewis Hamilton can figure it out, then you can get some bonus points from Mercedes because you'll get both in the you know top 10, which counts them as, you know, finishing points. You'll get them both theoretically moving up and whatnot. But I do agree with you that it gets a little. The constructors is kind of what limits it and it's still going to be chalky, but that's mainly because about half the constructors aren't very good right now. Well, I guess the, the other thing that we can kind of like hang our hat on is like, we know the pricing right now. They're going to get three practice sessions. Let's see how the starting order, you know, unfolds. And then we'll go from there and we will trust Matt's F1 DFS top plays. Uh, do you want to turn our attention to Darlington? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Let's do it. Do you want to preview the track not too much? I mean, we already talked about the shape, the radii on both ends, the length, the surface, the tire wear, all that jazz. Yeah, let's just dive into the driver pools. Um, you know, we kind of already highlighted that you can use previous races and what to expect from a you know strategy wise. Cool. Uh, we got trucks and Xfinity this weekend. Uh, truck practice and qualifying will be Friday afternoon. Truck race is Friday night. My playbook is going to be up Friday morning based on salaries. I will do my absolute very best to update it before Friday's race. I can't guarantee I'm going to be in the Discord a lot. I will still be at work for my full-time job, but I, I will try to rush back to my computer to offer any and all updates to the actual playbook. So, as always... Be on the lookout for the updates in red. Xfinity race, I'll be much more active and involved in. I'll probably be playing the Xfinity race heavier than the Truck Series race. Practice and qualifying unfold at 5 p.m. and 5.30 on Friday. And then the race is Saturday afternoon. It's another early race for Xfinity. It's at 1.30. It's not going to be at 3 or 3.30 or 4 o'clock. It's not going to be a night race. It's going to be an early Saturday afternoon race, I'm guessing. I don't know. They probably don't want to deal with or go up against the big uh, UFC card. And then uh, <clears throat> uh, Sunday's race, we get 3.30 p.m. Um, I don't know. When does NASCAR qual- or the Cup Series qualify? Oh, I think Saturday it's morning. 10.30 in the morning on Saturday morning. Cool. All right. So kind of like tune in early Saturday morning, practice and qualifying for the Cup race. Hang around long enough. You'll see the Xfinity race. And then we get the Cup Series race at 3.30 along with the F1 race. If you have to, go to a bar, request two different TVs for yourself. Watch both races, make a lot of money. But Matt, let's talk Darlington. Uh, this is the kind of track where it's if you're tight, that's perfectly fine. If you're tight, you can run along the higher line. 
You can run along the wall, risk getting your own Darlington stripe. That's why this shapes up to be a really good track. For one, Kyle Larson at 11,000 on DK, and two, Tyler Reddick at 9,000 on DK. Everyone keeps talking about when Tyler Reddick's going to get his first win. This could be it, but I'm willing to put my faith in the bigger name drivers, especially coming from HMS for Dominator points this weekend. Yeah, so my only concern with Larson is that at tracks we've expected him to dominate at, he hasn't yet. Right? I mean, he's been solid. I can't say he hasn't been. He's got to win. But even when he looks, like, even when he gets a high finish, his car is, like, fourth, fifth, sixth best car on the track based on green flag speeds and whatnot. So, you know, Larson did look pretty good at, at Auto Club, if memory serves, um, on that one. I mean, he won, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't like... It wasn't the best but, car. No, because Redick was running away with it until he got caught up by William Byron on a flat tire and couldn't get out of the way, right? If Willie B doesn't wreck Redick, I don't know that anybody... Was it Redick or Chastain? I'm sorry. I'd... No, Byron got into Redick. Yeah. Um, if Byron doesn't get into Redick, I don't know that anybody catches him. Because that car was phenomenal at Auto Club. Um, but even if you look back at the green flag speeds for Larson, he was arguably the fifth best car <clears throat> on the track, and he'll tell you that. Um, and it's not like he really dominated, right? He led 28 laps of a 200-lap race, had 16 fastest laps. That's all right. Um he hasn't led more than 34 laps in any race this year, and that was the his flipping duel at Daytona. So in a points race, 32 laps at Talladega was the most he, he led. So, again, he's got really nice finishes, but he doesn't have the domination, you know, the dominating speed he had last year. So... We'll take that with a grain of salt. If he looks really fast in practice, he's going to be a chalky play. Because at 11000 why not? He's cheaper than he was at Dover by like $800. Um, but yeah, I would I would prefer playing Tyler Reddick at nine grand than Larson at eleven, And I think a lot of people are going to do that. Uh, what's the read on Martin Truex Jr. this week? Um, was a pretty clear PD play last week. 56 fastest laps at Dover. Uh, he started 18th, only finished 12th, but he was running much better than that for most of the race. Uh, very impressive run. Uh, his car has, I guess you could say it's been looking better. Um, we we do have these weird, like we had Talladega and the, and the dirt race mixed in, but... 56 fastest laps last week, um, 11 at Martinsville, very disappointing run from there. But then he had 34 fastest laps and 80 laps led at Richmond. If we're reading between the lines and trying to shuffle out the data from the, I guess, the gimmicky races, is MTJ turning his season around? Yeah, I mean, he also had 34 fastest laps at Vegas, Yeah, too. And, I mean, you could probably say, like, he got screwed out of a better finish last week at Dover. 
Because he got into it with Ross Chastain on the final lap, and he lost a few yeah. spots. He also got screwed out of a better finish at Vegas, too. Because remember, he was right behind Kyle Busch when that final restart, and then that, that caution came out, and they elected to take tires and wound up a few spots further back than they should have mm-hmm. got counted for. So um, I think MTJ is starting to turn his season around. He certainly has speed in that Toyota. Um, he's usually very good um, at at Darlington. And, and he won this race a year ago, leading 248 laps. Yeah. And so there, there's another NASCAR contributor, um, Nick Griffin. He goes by at Rotodoc on Twitter. He has a metric that basically compares year-on-year averages at tracks. And how good they are at the tracks and how much better they are at certain tracks. Versus, like, everything else that year. Yeah. So it takes into account the equipment bump, right, because it's comparing these guys against what they've done at other tracks in their same equipment. Okay. Martin Truex Jr. gets is the fifth best guy in terms of better average at Darlington than anywhere else on this list. So, yeah, Truex does quite well at Darlington. And I don't know that people are really paying attention to him that much right now. Like, the fastest laps are there, but I don't know how many people take that that stat seriously enough to, to play him. I think your your point is valid because a lot of people just go on and, and they will they might pull up the driver averages and if you go on driveraverages.com they don't they don't list fastest laps they only list you know starting position finishing position and laps led you know so the car has been better the finishes have not been there i think he genuinely did get screwed out of, of out of a significantly better finish last week um and i think he had every right in the world to go and confront Ross Chastain. I love Chastain. I'm happy for the success in I'm happy for him and the success he's having this year. But that move towards the end of the race was kind of a typical Ross Chastain move and I think AJ Allmendinger at Coda might agree with that. Yep. All right, let's move on. Uh once again, uh that was uh the stat Matt was talking about was from Nick Giffen at Rotodoc on Twitter. Uh let's just keep diving down. Denny Hamlin, my God. Uh, what's the approach with Hamlin last week? Had a really good race, 67 laps led, 42 fastest laps. Had to work his way back through the field uh, after the tire fell off during the stage break where uh, he just pit for tires and fuel and, and the tire didn't exactly want to hang around. He finished 21st after starting second, but the car was fast. Now he's going to have this race without his crew chief and one of his uh, tire changers who – they probably suspended the wrong guy. What's the approach with Danny Hamlin? Because he was a phenomenal contrarian play last week. Does the fact that he's not going to have his crew chief impact your influence on how much exposure you want this week? No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, he's been very, very good with Chris Gabehart. Their win percentage is insane. Um, Won two of the last four Darlington races. Yeah, I mean – in the last five races at Darlington, which, again, we said you can compare because the packages are very, very similar between the last few years and this year's car. He's got four top fives here. His average finish is 5.0 in the last five <clears throat> Darlington races. So um, 
I'm perfectly fine continuing to play Denny Hamlin. I mean, even though he cost you 19 spots of PD last week, he still put up 38 DK points because of the 42 fastest laps and 67 laps left. Like, that's it's pain for for Dan for For sure, and for me, I played Denny. I was probably um, if anybody wants to join my pity party, we meet. 2 p.m. Eastern time on Skype on Thursday. Um, and I think in general, the JGR cars are starting to turn their season around. Um, I think it's taking a little bit, but I think they're, I think they're getting there. So I don't have a problem going with Denny Hamlin. Um, Denny you know, Hamlin has had a driver rating of at least 107 in five straight Darlington races. And I get that it's a new car. But this is a, it's a high tire wear track. I like targeting guys that know how to manage tires at these tracks. And, and sure, part of high tire wear tracks is making sure the tire stays on the car. But he's been great here. Yeah. Yep. Fully agree. Um, and at a few other similar tracks this year, he's put up laps led and fastest laps. So, uh, you know, if they just get quality pit stops, he'll be perfectly fine. Uh, what's the approach with William Byron this week? His price drops to 10100 after being 11000 last week. Uh, he was an obvious PD play. I did not play a ton of him. I think that was one read that I got right that didn't necessarily not go against me. Uh, but three straight finishes outside the top ten. Now, granted, two of those races were the dirt race in Talladega. Is this the kind of track and race he can get back on track. I mean, we talk about high tire wear tracks, and he did win at Miami last year. He did, and he seemingly came out of nowhere to do that. Um, I'm going to say for him, it's going to depend on what we see him do on the track. Um, because he's been a little bit up and down. Yeah, he's got those couple of wins. Obviously, one of them was at the chaotic Atlanta race. So congrats for like outlasting people. And he did lead 111 of those laps, which is impressive. But, again, it was, like, pure chaos. Um, Martinsville was fantastic. Can't take anything away from him there. But that's not really comparable to Darlington. So, you know, if we look at the high tire wear tracks this year, Auto Club, he wrecked out. So that that's not great news. Um, Vegas started 14th, finished 5th. Had a pretty good day, put up 56 points on DK at 9-8. So that's that's a pretty good day. Um, but then he kind of, you know, of late, like you said, he's had three straight races of 15th or worse finishes. And yes, I know it's Talladega and the dirt race, but still. You know, got to take them for what they're worth. Um, so it's going to depend on what we see from from Byron this week on track uh any other of these top tier drivers i mean i like seeing the fact that ross chastain's price tag is finally 9700 that's where he should have been the last three or four races and even last week you know he didn't win he finished third but he still led 86 laps 38 fastest laps at 8600 dollars. it's like dk drafting's finally got their act together and finally priced him right about where he should came it should be how do you feel about Ross Chastain at $9,700? I mean, it's hard to say no to him, right? I mean, no matter where they show up, that car seems to be fast. Um, 
he just keeps rolling off these top five finishes, and it's really quite impressive, to be honest. Do you think that this price tag is might make him a little bit contrarian? Like, people may just not want to pay this much for Ross Chastain? Maybe. I mean, maybe because it is a jump, right? The previous high was, what, 89? It's a big jump. I think the previous high for this season was 8,900, which was Richmond. Like, he's the so. seventh most expensive driver. There are five guys over 10K, and he's, you know, just beneath Kyle Busch. This is a hefty price jump. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. No, he does. It may keep people off of him. It may. Um, and, you know, didn't exactly have the greatest run at Auto Club because he started 33rd and finished 29th. Um but I, I don't know, because the following week in that same car, he led 83 laps at Vegas before finishing third. So, like, I mean, I'm still going to have exposure to Ross Chastain. I'm probably not going to have as much as I previously did, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to say no, given the speed that the uh, Watermelon Man has shown. I'll say this. If you're worried about the price tag, take comfort in the fact that in seven races this year, he has put up at least 64 points. And we're talking about potentially, even at 9,700, and on a variety of tracks, whether it's he, whether he's gaining it through PD or Dominator points, he's hitting 60-plus points on a variety of tracks. And so for that... I'm not too worried about the price tag. Um, and if he is starting inside the top 10 and it lowers ownership, then I do want to jump on board. If he's starting further back, then he's an obvious PD play. And we've seen him be able to like move up through the field and still get dominator points, as we saw at Atlanta, which is a super speedway, but we saw it at Auto uh, at Coda, which is a road course. We saw it at Phoenix, or uh, yeah, uh, Vegas, sorry. We saw it last week at... Dover, like he's doing it all. Like he's he's fast every week, and so I hope the price tag lowers ownership. But I still think he can go go out there and get you sixty to seventy points. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point because he's brought on. I mean, sixty four points would be like five and a half x that price tag. I mean, it would easily be over ten x. Oh, no, not ten x, six x. Sorry, holy crap. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's intriguing, but like Willie B, it's going to be kind of like, I want to see where he's starting. Because at some point, he's going to become chalk if he's starting too far back. Uh, between Kyle Busch, Alex Bowman, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, is there, do you want to touch on any of them specifically? It's how can we not talk like Ryan Ryan Blaney just keeps showing up with speed. Like the results aren't there, right? Like he just keeps showing up with speed. Um and I will say that this week, according to the uh metric here by Rotodoc, he is in the field of the twenty eight non rookie drivers. He is the worst one at Darlington on average. Compared to his other tracks. Oh, yeah, so, he only has one top 10. This is a big GPP play for me. Uh, yeah, but I mean... 
So he sucks at Richmond historically, but then he went out, started on the pole, and led 128 laps and finished seventh. I mean, MTJ went 0 for 81 in his career at short tracks and then hauled off like five of the next nine races he won. Yeah. Right. So at some point, he's going to figure out Darlington. Um, he's been quick. So. Yeah, like he's he's probably a guy who should be over 10k, and 9400 is a really nice discount on Ryan Blaney. I mean, he led 140 laps at Phoenix, and he led 128 at Richmond. Ed Rouse is listening to this right now, just salivating. And so, I mean, even if you go back over the last five races this year, right, which includes Dover, Talladega, the Dirt Race, Martinsville, and Richmond, he has put up 50 or more. 51 or more DK points in four of them. Damn. So, again, even without the the flat-out wins or results, and by the way, he's put up, he's finished 11th or better in four of those as well. So, he's not necessarily putting up the wins, but he's finishing highly and he's getting you laps let. So, again, even though the track history here sucks, going to make him probably less played because a lot of people just go off of driver averages i would play i would play ryan blaney in gpps i know we talk about people just going off of driver averages uh for the next driver that i do want to talk about we're getting a big discount on a guy who historically has done very very well here and what i mean by that is that he's finished top 10 in every race at darlington dating all the way back to 2013. Kevin Harvick, in his last 13 races, has finished 5th, 6th, 1st, 3rd, 1st, 4th, 4th, ninth, 2nd, 5th, 1st, 5th. And he's led over 100 laps on three different occasions. He's led at least 10 laps in each of the last five races. He is $8,800. The price is dropping. I have been championing him him for weeks as just a solid cash game play uh he only really hit about 4x value last week at dover but he still got another top 10 and this is a track that i like to i really do value veterans and guys with experience on high tire wear tracks i just see another top eight finish in the books for kevin harvick now it does depend on where he starts but 8,800, it's just feeling like Kevin Harvick is a little bit too cheap. I would agree. Um, in you know, in the last fight you brought up that he didn't really hit 4X last week at Dover, right? 39 points on $9,300. Um, it was so-so, right? But at Talladega, he put up 51 points. So that was almost 6X. At Richmond... Started seventh, finished second, 11 fastest laps, no laps led. That was good for 52 points at eight grand. So that's better than 6X. Um, at Phoenix, another track he's been comfortable with. He's He put up 57 points at 9,300 bucks. That's better than 5X. So, um, and at Auto Club, by the way, now granted, he started 32nd at Auto Club and finished seventh. So there was a ton of PD there. He got 62 points. Um but even at 10.6, he still went like 5.5x value. So I have no problem playing Kevin Harvick this week. He made the playbook last week uh, at Dover. He's had a far better 
track history at Darlington. And, you know, even even in the last few years when SHR has been down and it hasn't necessarily been Kevin Harvick's year, he's still putting up top five finishes at Darlington. So why would we doubt that he could do it again this week, right? I mean, even with SHR supposedly down, he's still putting up top tens. So, and again, he's very, very good here, and this is one of his better tracks. So, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with Kevin Harvick this week. Uh, what's the how, how good has Austin Dillon been here? I mean, we 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 talked about last week how he kind of comes out of nowhere to do really well. Like he finished third at Martinsville, he was tenth at Richmond, he was second at Talladega, all kinds of different tracks. Um, and then he he presented himself as a pretty good play last week where he was starting 24th. He finished 23rd. What is the approach on Austin Dillon? Do you have to just throw him into some lineups out of necessity in, in hopes that you get one of those top five weeks from him? Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's just a GPP him, play every week. As soon as you talk about him, he doesn't show up. Right. So should I, I should have said nothing. But, like, when we don't talk about him, he shows up, right? Like, yeah. it... Auto Club started 16th. Nobody knew what the hell to expect from him. Finished second. Okay, that's awesome. And then he hauled off and finished 11th at Vegas. Not usually one of his better tracks. And then he finished top 10 on a road course for some reason. And then he finished top 10 at Richmond. And then third at Martinsville and second at Dega. Like, yeah, he's very good at plate racing. So the second at Dega is not surprising. But... I, I think you're right. I think at this point with Austin Dillon, we kind of have to just sprinkle him in a little bit. In the last five races at Darlington, he's put up two top tens. So, you know, and the and a third one was 11th, so he barely missed a third top ten. He has a runner-up here a few races ago. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how we don't wind up just sprinkling Austin Dillon into to a few lineups each week. Uh, sorry, got distracted with something. Um, all right, so I'm going to just keep moving on down. Uh, Christopher Bell had a very solid run last week. I was not over the moon about his performance at Auto Club. I think he may have wrecked out, but he started 19th, finished 36th. Uh, but last week he had some issues, but he fought all the way back to finish top five. He actually finished fourth. Um, so he shaped up nicely as a pretty solid DFS play. Now, Dover is obviously different shape, a little bit longer, still relatively high tire wear for a shorter track. Can we expect the success, especially because we noted earlier in the podcast that JGR is slowly figuring out these cars? Can we expect solid things for Christopher Bell this week? Yeah, and by the way, he did, in fact, uh, have, I believe, a flat tire at Auto Club um, earlier in the year because he certainly didn't run that badly. He he wrecked out um, fairly early on in that race, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So they're starting to figure it out, and that's evidenced by the fact that if you go back to the last six races, uh, Bell has a third, a sixth, a seventh, and a fourth place finish. Uh, and if you go back what, nine, nine races? He's got a 10th place in there at Vegas. So, you know, he's still finishing in the top 10 in more than half the races this year. 
if he's starting outside the top 10, that's great. If he's starting inside the top 10, that obviously limits his PD. Um, but we still get Lowers solid. the ownership. What was that? Lowers the ownership, though. It does. It does. He's still a mid-tier guy. He's kind of producing like a mid-tier guy right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think JGR, this is a week to, to pounce on JGR, starting to figure things out at a track that they've previously been pretty decent at. Ah, I hate asking about this next guy, but I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about Brad Kislowski. Uh, continues to be priced under 8K. I continue to fall for the price tag because he starts like either like P20 or just inside P20. And then in like stages one and two, you're you're feeling really, get really good about your Brad Kislowski exposure because he's somehow running inside the top 10, maybe even top five. And then the finish just isn't there. And that's been the case uh, this past week. That was kind of the case. Well, not so much at Richmond. He started 19th and finished 13th, but it's like, I always love the exposure that I get on Kislowski because, like, he's he he hasn't been played heavily this season, um, but at the same time, he can still go out there and get forty plus points. And at this price tag, I'll take it. Uh, but I honestly thought, like, I would have had at this point in May, I thought we would have had one like pivotal Brad Kislowski breaks the slate kind of race, and that just really hasn't been the case this year. Yeah, I'm probably off of him this week. Okay. Um, he's not had the best track history, even in a Penske car. And let's face it, the six is nowhere near Penske cars right now. Um, like, if you just look back at the last five races here at Darlington in his Penske car, his average start is 6.2. His average finish is 11.8. Already, that's a red flag, right? Um we don't like playing dudes who go backwards if they were explainable, like wrecks out, whatever, fine. But he's only got one finish outside the top 13. So it's not like he's wrecking out. He's just starting high and then moving back, which means they set the car up to qualify well and then it's not drivable. Um, and I don't know that I trust him at this point right now. Like, we've taken some shots on him. Um probably more than we may than than we should have at this point mm-hmm. um but i just don't i mean i i just don't know in the comparable track so far this year he's gone backwards more than he's gone forward so i'll let somebody else play roll the dice with him at 7900 all right let's talk eric jones he's 7700 he is the cover boy for this week's podcast why is he the cover boy for this week's podcast, Matt? Because this is his best track. It's just that simple. Um, and yes, I know people are going to bring up, well, he's put up a bunch of his stats at JGR. And are we sure about that at this point? Right? He hasn't been in a JGR car in a few years. Um, and he continues to put up good stats um, at this track. So last year he did wreck out, but... You know, other than that, he's had three top tens in the last five races here. He's statistically moved up almost 10 spots a race. And, you know, when you compare it to his other tracks, this one's his best track. It's not really even that close. Um, And we've talked about how in the past, especially with Eric Jones, that it makes 
sense to play him on weeks where he's comfortable at these tracks. And that's kind of been the MO for playing him the last few years since he, you know, the last two seasons since he moved over to the 43 car. And it's pretty well paid, you know, worked out, right? Um, We've said he's been comfy at certain tracks and he's been quick at those tracks for the most part. Yes, there have been the odd, you know, tire issue or bad pit stop or whatever that's cost him some results. But let me ask you this. How many top tens do you think Eric Jones has put up uh, this year in the 11 points races that we've had? Oh, boy. He's had a few. I think he got there last week at Dover. Yep. Uh, he almost won Talladega. I think he finished fifth or sixth. Yeah, he did finish sixth because he made that stupid move to not stay in front of Russia. All right, so they've had 11 races, and you're asking me how many top fives? How many top tens? Top tens. Six? He, okay, so DK has him at six, but they have 13 races. That includes the Clash and the Duel, which he finished in the top ten in both. But if you count points races, which is 11, he's got four top tens. That's not bad for a guy who we constantly crap on because nobody likes the 43 car, right? Now, you will have to deal with a price hike this week. He was 6,800 last week at Dover, and now he's 7,700 because DK knows this is his best track, right? Mm -hmm. But even with that, he's put up more than 41 points three times in the last five races. So, like... And two of those came, one was in Martinsville and one was at, at Dover. So it's not like we're doing, like, he took advantage of chaos at the weird races, right? Um, and didn't something happen with him at Richmond? He was running way faster than he gets credit for, right? He finished 23rd. I didn't watch that. That was the weekend that I was traveling back. I know that he was very fast at practice. He started fifth. Um. And I I feel like something happened to him late where he got pinned. He might have. I can't back. honestly think back to a month ago to that specific race. But, yeah, so <clears throat> in general, that's why I'm very high on Eric Jones. Yes, I tend to be a little higher on Eric Jones most weeks, but this week there's actual reasoning behind it. Uh, Eric Almarola, Kurt Busch seem a little bit underpriced, especially Kurt Busch. Yeah, I don't know um, where I don't know what Kurt Busch is doing at seventy three hundred bucks. This guy is fantastic at Darlington. Generally speaking, he outperforms everywhere else at Darlington. Um, I know it's been a few down weeks, and he's got like three thirty second or worst place finishes in the last five races. But I don't know that any of those were particularly his fault. So you know it. It's been a little dicey recently, so I get why the price keeps dropping. Um, but if, if we trust JGR to be figuring out, then shouldn't we also be trusting 23XI to be starting to figure it out too because they're also Toyotas? Um, and Kurt Busch just has too good of a track history here to be that far down the pricing list. All right, let's keep going on. Oh, man, we're just getting to that zone where it's just like, yeah, play this guy in the GPP, no, see what happens. But uh, we are entering Austin-centric zone. I have a very difficult time playing Austin-centric any week. 
Um, not until he's about high six. You want me to tell you who my favorite, my favorite cheap play is this week? Hang on, can I try and guess? Sure. Uh, it's not Ty Dillon, is it? Nope. Okay. All right. Is it Bubba? Nope. This is great radio. Chris Buescher, yes. 6,900. He's nice. He's nice. He is nice, but he's not my favorite. Cheap All right, play. lay it on me. Uh, Corey LaJoy. <laughs> Why? Because. That's a bad word. Uh, he's got three straight top 20s coming into this race. Yeah, he's been figuring out how to drive this car for the guy that couldn't figure out how to drive it earlier in the year. He certainly is. That was a dirt race in his, for Speedway, but he did get a top 20 last week at Dover. Yeah, he also put up a top 15 at Vegas. Pretty nice. Um, did so-so at Auto Club. Not great, right? He's Not great, due but... for a bad race, Matt. But <laughs> he's also usually very good at Darlington. Um he does have a couple of – in the last five races here, he does have a top 15, which was the last race he ran, which also, by the way, happens to be with the seven car. Um, so, you know, statistically speaking, this is kind of one of his better tracks. Um, well, if we want to talk about just the seven car, I mean, he did start 25th, finished lat- 15th in the – fall race and then in this race a year ago he started 30th and finished 22nd that's not slate breaking but that is still good value at 4900 bucks i'll take it yeah he probably should not be 4900 dollars. that's what I i'm think saying like it's just a misprice and i'm not saying he should be 1500 dollars, but i do think he should probably be like 5400 yeah i mean you know, let's say he starts. It's kind of like seconds. how last week we were t- talking about how Harrison Burton is not a $5,000 driver. Like, that's not a $5,000 car. That's a, arguably, that's a Penske car. And DraftKings missed the boat. And what does Harrison Burton do? He starts 35th and finishes 24th, which is not doing much. But he also almost hit 6x value at $5,000. Right. You know, so, LaJoy last week started 21st, finished 18th, had one fast slap, right? Okay. Doesn't sound great. Right, didn't move up all that much, only moved up a few spots. That's 28 points. He was $4,900 last week. Yeah. 28 points is more than 5X. So, I don't know why he's priced down here. This is a very good track for him. And at $4,900, if you if you play him, right, on DK, you start with 83, basically 8300 bucks a spot. If you play Corey LaJoy, that moves you up to $9,000 a spot for the other five spots. So, like, you can average putting five Tyler Reddicks in that lineup. Obviously, you can't put five Tyler Reddicks, but I would take that save. So, if you go LaJoy and Reddick and Eric Jones, because we love him, and we just said Kurt Busch was mispriced, now I've got 10-5 for the last two spots. I got Larson at eleven grand, and I got I can get Willie B at ten one, Kyle Bush at ninety nine. How about Ross Chastain at ninety seven hundred bucks? 
Do you think that Justin Haley uh, is not getting enough respect in the at least the DFS pricing community? He's fifty nine hundred dollars. Um, he does have five top fifteen finishes in his last seven races. Now, granted, he's qualifying well. Like he started fourteenth last week, eleventh in Talladega, sixth at Bristol Dirt. Even at Coda, he qualified ninth. But I mean. Top 15 is a top 15. If he's going to hold his spot the whole race, then he's at least a decent contrarian play. And he was a good contrarian play last week because he got some dominator points. Yeah, he got 42 points last week at 5,500 bucks. Yeah. That's better than 7X. So, yeah. I mean, you know, these college cars just keep showing up fast. It's like the track house cars. Yeah. So... Though, yeah, he's probably my second favorite cheap dude behind Corey LaJoy uh, right now, heading into this, heading into this week. Uh, any other, I know we've kind of gone pretty long with the F1 talk, but are there any drivers that we missed that you may want to touch on real quick, or should we just save it for the, for the playbook? We're going to save it for the playbooks. Um, the cup schedule, you know, track breakdown will be out. Probably Thursday this week. Um, and then we'll have rankings before we see anybody on track. We'll have rankings out on Friday. Those will be adjusted if necessary. Following Saturday's on track stuff, then we'll have um, betting piece will probably be out Friday at some point over at PixWise and then get adjusted if necessary. Um, Projections will be out Saturday after qualifying. Playbook will be out Saturday afternoon at some point. Um, and then for F1, we'll put out the playbook uh, probably Saturday afternoon following qualifying um, with my favorite strategy plays there. And then picks, you know, price picks plays for Cup Series Sunday morning. Example lineups for. F1 and Cup will be out relatively the same time on Sunday since the races are the same time. So uh, in terms of weather, there is some expected rain in Miami this weekend, but that should not affect F1 because they can just put inners, what they call the rain tires, uh, on the cars. There's no rain for for Darlington, unfortunately. Yeah, there's no rain in the forecast for Darlington, so... That's unfortunate because even if it rains for Miami, they're still going to run the race on time. Won't really get yourself a buddy with two TVs or just go to the bar. Right. So that's kind of the lay of the land this week. Um, And everybody enjoy themselves. It's a pretty great weekend for racing this weekend. All right, Matt. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you. Best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation.